You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to preview the best games of week four with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety, and go round the league with Steve Weich from NFL Network. But first, let's kick off the podcast by welcoming in Peter King of the MMQB. I had a conversation with Peter that started with this question. Is Eric Reed of the 49ers, who took a knee next to Colin Kaepernick last year, correct in saying that the message of Kaepernick's original protest has been lost based on what we've been seeing recently at NFL stadiums? Well, I think the message for different players has been different. It is different. For instance, um, if you ask Malcolm Jenkins of the Philadelphia Eagles, he will say that he is most concerned with criminal justice reform, that uh, black men in America go to jail for a lot longer and their paroles are extremely different than their white counterparts. Um, and, I mean, it's a, it's a complex issue, but it's one of the ones that he w- is working on. And I think that, I think that in a very, very broad brush. I would say that, you know, civil rights for minorities in America is, uh, is the concern of all the people who are protesting in the NFL. But, you know, Malcolm Jenkins has gone, along, gone, along, gone on ride-alongs with cops in Philadelphia. He, Doug Baldwin of the, uh, of the Seahawks, and other very vocal people, uh, really have a lot of, I, I don't know if the right word is love for police officers, but who have very, very high regard for police officers, whereas Colin Kaepernick wore pig socks, and, you know, with, in, with uh, you know, police officers in them. And so I, there's a lot of differing philosophies and differing attitudes as to why people are protesting, but I do think it has to be, it's, it's mostly concerning what is uh, what's happening with the plight of minorities in America? Peter King of the MMQB is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, Cam Newton back from the shoulder procedure, but also dealing with an ankle issue heading into Sunday's game against the Patriots. Based on your conversations, how concerned are the Panthers about their franchise quarterback? I think they're only concerned from the standpoint that, okay, he didn't play well late last year at all. Uh, was hurt a little bit, now is healthy, and has not started this year well. I think that uh, we still don't know right now whether Cam Newton is going to buy everything that Mike Shula and Ron Rivera are selling in that, you know, check down, use your backs more. I mean, it's it's sad for them that they lost Greg Olson for half the season because he was going to be a key part of that philosophy too i think if i could sum it up they want cam newton to take the easier completions and uh, to not put himself in harm's way as much not to totally change how he plays the game but essentially to basically take the easier things you know take it if they're going to give you six yards take it if they're going to take the swing pass and give you and if if the defense is going to give them uh, you know, is going to give them Christian McCaffrey in space. Take it. 
And so I think that is what we still don't know, um, you know, if Kaepernick is going to – or if Kaepernick, if, uh, if Cam Newton is going to be very good at. But I will say this. I think that Cam Newton scored points this week in all ways, uh, you know, by supporting Colin Kaepernick and really speaking up for him. I know that, that I think people uh, really look at leader players which Cam Newton certainly is on his team. And people look at that, and when you talk very highly about a guy like Colin Kaepernick, who probably has sacrificed his career for this cause, or who may have sacrificed his career, I think that guys who are currently in the league speaking up for him score a lot of points, uh, not only with their teammates, uh, but in the in the public eye as well. Going around the league with Peter King, let's focus on another injury situation. Chuck Pagano, as you know, said this week he was optimistic that Andrew Luck could finally come back to practice next week. Considering that Luck reportedly had the shoulder procedure in January, Peter, how puzzling has this whole situation been? Well, I'm surprised. Quite frankly, I'm surprised because when I was at their training camp in the middle of August, it seemed like it was going to be somewhere between two and four weeks before he returned to practice. And then after that, maybe a couple of weeks of practice and he'd be playing. I don't think, I think most people in Indianapolis, they didn't know, but I think most people felt, oh, he'll be playing by October 1st. And clearly, you know, Sunday is October 1st, and he's not even practicing yet. So, I mean, I, I, I would, I've said this for several weeks. I expect him to practice next week, and I still expect him to practice next week. But obviously, you know, I, I, I'll just tell you one thing about this, Brian, that I think is being overlooked a little bit. The, the Colts have basically said to their doctors, the only thing we want you to tell us is what is best for Andrew Luck long-term. And if you think there's any danger of a recurrence of an injury, if he returns at some point, don't tell us that. We only want to hear he's absolutely fine, he's 100%, and this is not going to be an issue going forward. And until they hear that, he's not going to go on the practice field. I applaud Indianapolis for doing that. I really do. But I think everybody's sense of a timeline has really been thrown off in the last couple of weeks. So if I'm listening closely, is there a chance we don't see Andrew Luck at all this season? No, I don't think so. I think it's more likely that he begins practice sometime in the next week or two. And what then happens is that he plays maybe starting around week eight uh, when they go to Cincinnati um, and then plays for a couple of weeks, then they have their bye. So that's if you ask me my gut feeling, my gut feeling is now we're going to see Andrew Luck for about half the season. Let's head to Kansas City. Alex Smith, stellar to start the season, but we know Patrick Mahomes is the Chiefs quarterback of the future. Is Smith already auditioning for a new team to play for next season, or could he be extending his time in Kansas City? That is a great, great question. If you were to ask me, my gut feeling as we sit here right now, that that could be affected and will be affected by how Alex Smith plays the rest of the year. My gut feeling is exactly what you say, which is that uh, Alex Smith is going to be elsewhere on opening day 2018. But, and this is a big but, honestly, to me, I think that he holds this, he holds his future in his hands. 
And if you look at the way he's playing right now, to me, I think one of the most interesting things when you watch him play is that not only is he completing three-quarters of his passes, okay, which is ridiculous, obviously, but his yards per attempt is way up. And that is because, as Andy Reid told me in the offseason, or he, I'm sorry, he told me after the first game, he said, look, he practiced his deep ball throwing with Tyreek Hill and with the other receivers a lot more this year than, uh, than he had in the past. And we're seeing the fruits of that. And, look, as long as Tyreek healthy stays Hill, uh, stay, uh, Tyreek Hill stays healthy, excuse me, um, I think we're going to see a good to very good deep passing offense in Kansas City. And then they're going to have a huge decision to make at the end of the year. Let's wrap it up with NFL Game Pass, a tremendous asset, Peter, given all the time you spend on the road. How does this help you in your preparation and your takeaways from what's going on around the league? Look, the best thing that I can do every week is like every Tuesday and Wednesday when I have time to sit down and do some homework, like this week, I really needed to see because I was working on all the Anthem stuff Sunday night. I barely saw any of uh, Washington and Oakland. And I wanted to see Washington's defense particularly, and that was a really impressive job. And the reason why I mention this is that the, the best part of NFL Game Pass by far is the fact that you can see condensed games in about 35 minutes. So instead of having to fast-forward your, you know, your DVR and, and, and all that stuff and miss a play here, miss a play there, they do it for you. And so basically I can sit there for, say, four hours early in the week, and I can watch five or six games that I did not get to watch on Sunday. And that's the way I catch up with my work. And I just think, look – I would speak about NFL Game Pass like this, whether the MMQB partnered with them or not, which we did this year. But I just think for a, for a football fan, a real football fan, you can see the same tape that the coaches watch, and you can see these condensed games. I just think it's a fantastic product, and I'm, I've been bullish on them for a few years. Peter, as always, we appreciate the insights and look forward to chatting with you on a regular basis in the coming weeks here on the NFL on TuneIn. Sounds great. Thank you so much. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The passion. 25-1, The fury. Inhaled in the backfield. Sack for the Huskies. The speed. Here's a home run ball. He's out there. He catches it. The best in college football from coast to coast. Touchdown, Notre Dame. 13-0 Buckeyes. To the goal line. Touchdown, Texas. Ball's on the carpet. Georgia says we have it. He's in. Touchdown, this is the Nissan College Football Blitz. Listen on Saturdays this fall on College Sports Now on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the top stories across the league with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, I want to be clear. I'm not calling Danny Trevathan a dirty player, but I thought the shot on Devontae Adams was dirty. How did you see it? Well, let me first uh, start by saying this. I know Danny Trevathan. I spent some time with him uh, in Denver. He's a a great kid. Uh, He plays the game the right way. He's a linebacker. He taught to play the game really physical and set the tone. And it was one of those plays where he was running 
to the ball, and you have to understand this, and this may sound like a justification, your team isn't playing that well. Your offense is putting you in some tough situation, right? You're a little upset. You get a little outside of yourself. Your your emotions get out of control. And it was one of those plays where what we saw and what, why we're talking about it, Devontae Adams uh, was kind of exposed, and as a defender, sometimes uh, you don't always know that. I mean, I played in a game against the Kansas City Chiefs where, you know, John Lynch was going to hit Eddie Kennison, and Eddie Kennison was standing upright. He saw John coming. He ducked and lowered his body to prepare for the contact. John ended up striking him in the head when that's not where he was intended to strike him, and there was a flag that was called. We were upset. In this case, as a defender, you're running in there. You're trying to deliver a blow to a receiver, and just so happens when his body turns, the first thing is there is his helmet. And I know if Danny were to look at that play again and, and they were to run that play ten times, he would choose to try to put his body in a different position. So, no, it didn't look great on television. And Danny knows that, you know, he could have handled that play so much better. But it was one of those things that happened uh, in his game. And for me, if I'm sitting in front of Danny right now, I'm telling him, listen, you know, you let your frustration get to you. I've had moments when that, that has happened to me, too. It's going to happen to the best of us in this game. But we have to know how to handle those situations. So when the league looks back on it, and it's because there's been so much talk about, you know, the factors of concussions and player safety, Danny is going to get a FedEx. If the FedEx should be in his locker right now, they probably sent it out uh, Park Avenue during the game. And he's, he's, he's probably could miss a game after this because we've all seen Vontez Burfick. So Vontez Burfick has been – penalized and, 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 you know, removed from the game, Danny could see that. But if you look at Danny's history, this is not who he is as a player. So when you mention Vontaze Perfect, you put him in that category, and that's not who his character, that's not who he is, but yet Vontaze Perfect does it on purpose. And my question is, how easy, and I'll use the word easy, because only you would know because you played the position, I did in high school, but you've done it on a high level, so I'll refer to you on this one. How hard or how easy is it when you see a, a runner of the football lowering his body as you're already engaged in making this tackle within one yard or two max to where it's not like you're you're trying to pull up because of a block in the back. Maybe one of your defenders may have caught an interception. You want to make a block. He turns his back on. You can raise your hands in the air. But we're talking about you're about to engage in detaching the man from the ball and just making a tackle. He lowers his head. How can you pull up? in a split second of a moment to not make that hit look so foul, let's just say the least, when watching it in slow motion on, on television? Cordell, you can't. I mean, you, you are uh, been trained to get your body from point A to point B in a, a quick period of time. Put your foot in the ground and drive forward. So it's, it's very hard on defenders uh, – when you're doing that, and that's why my question was always, well, what, what is a defenseless receiver? What, what is that? I never knew what that was uh, as, as a safety. Is it, am I supposed to wait, allow him to catch the ball, take two steps, and then attempt to make a tackle? Because sometimes those quarterbacks will leave receivers across the middle, and once again, you're trained to break on the quarterback throw, and the game is about angles. On this particular play, that wasn't the case. Uh, Devontae Adams was a runner. He was trying to fight for extra yards. He had no idea that Danny was going to come in like a missile and try to hit him. And we've seen this 
time and time again, week in and week out, guys fighting for extra yards, and we see, you know, defenders coming in with the finishing move and never knowing how a, a wide receiver running back is going to torque or turn their body, but you're coming in to deliver a blow, and maybe that may be the blow that, to separate man from ball, but in this case, it was a helmet-to-helmet contact. And, and here's what I, I, I also toss this out, uh, Cordell. In college football, we know and we've seen players removed from the game if your helmet comes off. Right, the targeting also, rule, right? Yes. But we've also seen uh, guys uh, ejected from games due to targeting. Now, I'm wondering, will we ever get to a point in the NFL where they start to implement that? Maybe uh, your, your, your top linebacker, your safety is now outside of the game because he targets maybe opposing wide receiver running back. But as a player, as a defender, it is very tough. But you just have to wonder, you know, what the intentions were of Danny Trevathan. And I don't think, you know, knowing Danny and knowing, you know, how he's played the game, he doesn't have a track record. And you're right, Cordell, I did mention Vontez Burfick only for the point of the fact of here's a guy who's been suspended. Here's a guy who plays a linebacker position. But he has a history. He's been doing it ever since high school. Danny Trevathan hasn't been labeled as that guy. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber taking you around the league with Nick Ferguson, the former NFL safety. Nick, we've been discussing the future of the quarterback position in Chicago, dating back to Jim McMahon doing the Super Bowl shuffle. When is it going to be time for Mitchell Trubisky to take over? To me, you know, this isn't the right time. Right now it's kind of a a knee-jerk reaction. The team is 1-3. and Uh, You're looking for a spark. You're looking for an answer, someone to come out and lead this team. But to me, you don't want to put Mitchell Trubisky in this situation. I know you drafted him and everyone was saying, well, why move up so far to get him if you're not going to play? Have you seen the Bears' offensive line? Why put Trubisky in that type of situation? Right? I know I'm not a huge fan of Mike Glennon. He's had moments where he's looked pretty decent. Right? You know, this season, the one win they have is against Cordell's Pittsburgh Steelers. And in that game, it looked like Mike Glennon had changed the minds of so many people. But right now, they don't have guys outside the numbers who can make plays for either Mike Glennon or Mitchell Trubisky. The top two players on that team is Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard. So even if Trubisky were to come in the game, he's going to be doing a whole bunch of check down Charlie because he's not going to get a lot of plays outside. And then Trubisky, just like Glennon, doesn't have a defense that's playing Great sound defense to help him out. Well, As I think the thing, you need. I'm sorry. Your yeah. offensive line to help you. You need a running game, and you definitely need your defense to put you on a short field and create some turnovers. The Bears defense—they're not doing that. So hey, go throw throw Trubisky in there. Next thing you know, he gets injured, and guess what? Glenn is right back in there. Sorry for cutting you off, Nick, but I, I would like to um, maybe put this scenario or situation similar to what you have in Houston. Um, okay. When you watch the first game with Tom Savage, and, and you guys should be you know, clapping right now because we're talking about your Jacksonville Jaguars, how they just went crazy on Tom Savage. And one thing Tom Savage did not have, same as Mike Glennon, is the ability to make plays with his feet. And one thing we know with Deshaun Watson as well as Mitchell Trubisky, based on what we saw during the preseason, how they were using Mitchell Trubisky, which is what you alluded to in saying what they didn't have on the outside, uh, maybe to what they didn't have up front, is having a mobile quarterback in the backfield. And I mean not mobile as in step up in the pocket and, and buy time, but 
being able to use it in the in the play calling situation, meaning the waggles and the boots and the play action, that sometimes can take some of the pressure off. Do you think that that's enough, uh, similar to what's going on in Houston for the Chicago Bears by adding a Mitchell Trubisky because of his capabilities of being able to move in the pocket? But, but Cordell, if you want to add the boots and the waggle, even though Glennon is not as athletic, heck, I mean, why wait to – for Trubisky to be inserted into the lineup to do that, you but, can that's, not, that but that's not Mike, Mike Glennon's. Well, but that's not Mike Glennon's style, though, right? Yeah, but 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 if you know your offensive line cannot protect you and keep you upright as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach, and John Fox, you got to get your quarterback on the move, get him, put him in position where he can make some throws on on the go and put the defense in the bind. And if you like, now listen. We had this discussion when we talked about, you know, the draft and, you know, Deshaun Watson and Mitchell Trubisky, right? Watching Deshaun Watson do what he's been doing the, the past couple of weeks he started, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky can do that. Yes, he's a mobile quarterback, but I don't know if the pocket's going to break down. He's going to scramble for a 54-yard touchdown and run through the defense. He and Deshaun Watson are not the same players. So, to me, it seems like we're comparing apples to apples but we're not. If Deshaun Watson was in a Chicago uniform, maybe it would then make sense to now put him in and see what he can do. But Mitchell Drabisky, I mean, he's not making those type of plays like Deshaun Watson. He's just not. Plus, Watson is now on a team that won the division in back-to-back years. You've got to look at the talent on the roster as well. And, Nick, as we say goodbye. They have a great defense, too. Yeah, exactly. even though J.J. Watt somehow does not have a sack to start the year. As we say goodbye, did I give you enough time for the late edition of Nick's Picks on Sunday because you become the Grandmaster Flash of the NFL on tune-in? <laughs> no, man. I, I, love, I love that. I love doing it. Uh, don't forget, tune in first and go this Sunday, me and B-Webb. So you can hear the latest edition of Nick's Picks. It's going to be fly. Can you even say that anymore? <laughs> say it. You can. You're going I back can. to the Flavor Flav days. Hey, here's trivia. <laughs> Paula Abdul is a fly girl, but you knew that, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I guess let me, let, me, let me sign off with this. Funky, fresh, dress, ready to party. Oh, look at That's you. My man. Cordell, That's do my you man. have any requests? Would you like Nick to weave in a rap song from the early 1990s on Nick's Picks on Sunday? Well, what, 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 what I've had the opportunity here, I'll let him keep it going because he's flowing real good. I mean, he's throwing in so many. I mean, I just want to get a flavor flav in that thing with the clock or, or public enemy number one. Something. Give me public enemy. Can I get some public enemy flavor flav? Can I get a little bit of that? My man. I'll give you some PE. <laughs> Nothing. Crazy PE. <laughs> Nothing like after six hours and 50 minutes of content, Nick dropping a welcome to the terror dome. <laughs> Nick, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. I'll see you Sunday. All right. Talk to you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game with live home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake at the block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Here's a touchdown! Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Let's go round the league with Steve Weich from NFL Network. 
Steve, a great chance to speak with you, and it's always a pleasure, since you've covered the Colin Kaepernick story since it happened last preseason. You were in the locker room that night and were part of the media that Colin was addressing. Is Eric Reed of the 49ers, who you'll recall took a knee next to Kaepernick last year, correct in saying that Kaepernick's original message has been lost based on the transformation of what we've been seeing recently at NFL stadiums? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, just to kind of expand on, on where you guys were going, I think Cordell n- nailed it. I mean, players are linking arms, owners are joining in, in response to President Trump's remarks, because no owner even dared show his face or speak about this, really, until they were called out by the president. When he said, oh, these guys are so awesome. This these players for protesting the flag. So all of a sudden, the owners are like, uh-oh. And then a couple of them put out statements, and as owners will do, but they don't want to be left out. So everybody kind of joined in. And you could tell by some of the messages, they were very reluctant in what they said or very careful in what they said. As for other players joining in, they didn't do that until these remarks were made because they were singled out. And, you know, my whole feeling, somebody, somebody texted me before the weekend said, I hope everybody kneels this weekend. And my approach was, to me, that would come off as phony because if you weren't kneeling for what Colin Kaepernick and other players, Eric Reed among them, had, had done initially, then you, you doing this now seems kind of phony. You know, like, you know, hey, you know, you, you just got called out, but what are you really kneeling for? So I think the message of Colin Kaepernick, and I was the first one to interview him when he sat down in that preseason game against the Packers, he was saying, look, I can't sit here and, and watch, you know, policemen shoot unarmed black men for the court system not to prosecute um you know, police officers and law enforcement who are who are doing wrong. I can't I can't stand here and and, and think that's okay. And, and that was the message. That was the original purpose. As much as people like Eric Reed are trying to get that across now, all people are really talking about is being called SOBs by President Number Forty Five. Steve, when you see how things have, have has evolved so so far with the protests, air quotes. Because it's owners, because it's coaches, because it's players, do you think the ones who are kneeling now are being hypocritical towards the stance that Colin Kaepernick took? Because as you mentioned, it was the original. Aren't they being hypocritical? Because no one was thinking about taking a stance for the most part. You had a few guys that came along and went along with it and was right there. Uh, But the masses that are doing it now, do you feel like they're being so hypocritical to the point where – they're almost going to have to save face and basically give Colin Kaepernick the opportunity to get back in the game because from afar, if you're a fan and you're not a uh, – let's just say you're not a fan and you're just watching what the National Football League is doing, it makes it seem as if the National Football League look like they're completely confused because Colin Kaepernick did and it was a problem, but now the majority is doing it and it seems as if Colin doesn't even matter anymore if he even, even exists or even started this run. Well, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to make a sweeping statement and say these guys are being hypocrites because some of these guys may have wanted to do something, and now that they've got the guy to the left and the guy to the right doing it for whatever their reasons are, they feel a little bit more comfortable. They don't feel as vulnerable about it. I mean, look, the message before all of this was: if you kneel, we're going to do you like Colin Kaepernick. You're going to be out of the league. You know, even though that didn't happen to 
Michael Bennett and Kenny Stills and, and some players like that. I mean, that's kind of how some players felt. So I do think some some players are really adhesing themselves to the message that Colin Kaepernick started and feel a little bit less vulnerable because other people are doing it. But there, again, there are, there are other people doing it who, who it's more so in response to what President Trump said than necessarily what the message may be. The good thing about this is now you have Aaron Rodgers, you've got quarterbacks, you've got non-black players talking about this, and that's fueling it. You've got um, fans now who are incredibly angry or incredibly supportive. And, and one thing to harken back to in the preseason was Seahawks defensive lineman Michael Bennett said, and he said this after he had been arrested in Las Vegas, but before it became public, said, we have to get to the point where we are uncomfortable because that's the only way people are going to actually start to have proper discussions about this. And right now, I don't know about you, I'm uncomfortable. Everybody's uncomfortable. We don't know how, you know, look, we work in a business where, you know, the, the prosperity of the NFL keeps us employed, okay? We don't know how these angry fans you know, we don't know how, and that's angry fans because of the protests, angry fans because Colin Kaepernick is unemployed. We don't know how this is going to affect our bottom line. So then they, that could trickle down to our to our existence. So it's uncomfortable in, in a lot of different ways. It's uncomfortable in this country. Um, there are players trying to do so many positive things and teams trying to do so many positive things. Hopefully now people can start to see the Seahawks and the Eagles and these guys doing ride-alongs. You heard Doug Baldwin on CNN the other night, the Seahawks wide receiver saying, we need to fund police departments so they can be trained to de-escalate hostile situations. We need to fund get the D.A.R.E. programs back in schools so kids don't necessarily view police officers as the bad guy. So, there's a lot of things that cross every every emotion, everybody's feeling that are starting to come to the attention that hopefully, you know, it's so divisive coming from the top of this country that hopefully some of us can actually listen to what other people are saying instead of shouting them down. Well said. Now, Steve, my brother, you know I've lost too many jobs over the last 20 years, so let me keep us all employed by making the move to what's coming up on Sunday. You were embedded with the Rams for a good portion of time last year, making the transition from St. Louis to Southern California. Thoughtful pieces on NFL.com. Given what we've seen, small sample size to start the season from Jared Goff, how far has he already come working under new head coach Sean McVay? Very far. Very far. Look, I'll never forget when the Rams had a mini camp, they were training out at Oxford, had a mini camp last year, and they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to fix this offense to, to work his skill set because he came from one of these spread offenses at Cal. And the next thing I know, I see them giving him an 18-word play call that he, he can't even get out of the huddle. And I'm like, how is this helping your quarterback if he can't even get his guys out of the huddle? If, he, if you can't even get his, he can't get his receivers lined up, how are you helping him by giving him the alphabet to say before you get to the line of scrimmage? So now you see Sean McVay, first off, Jared Goff's getting more reps and things like this. He's designed an offense that plays to Goff's strengths. Um, you know, one thing they do, they do a lot of no huddle. So what he's doing, he's giving him the play call early in his helmet. They get up to the line of scrimmage. They see the defense you know, opposite of them. 
So he can say, okay, you see right now there's a potential for a safety blitz coming here, and this is coming. Make sure you look for this. So he's helping him. He also helped him by getting some offensive linemen who can play and coming up with a scheme that works and getting Todd Gurley going. And they have receivers. For five years, the Rams did not give, whether it was Sam Bradford, whether it was Case Keen, they didn't give them receivers. Now you got Sammy Watkins and Robert Woods, uh, the, the Cooper Cup kid who looks, looks fantastic. They've, get, they've, they've built an offense for them. So they're, they're actually behaving as if they want to, to succeed and that they actually have a good overall blueprint, just not a Jared Goff blueprint. Speaking of an offense that's working for him, uh, it's not for Mike Glennon. When do you make the move to Mitchell Trubisky? Well, you're, you're talking about a coach in John Fox who went to the Super Bowl with Jake, Jake Delhomme, and he always hangs on to that. You know, he didn't necessarily want to make the move to Tim Tebow when he was in Denver, but, you know, the Kyle Orton thing wasn't quite working. So they had to figure out if Tebow can play. So this is a coach who knows he's on the hot seat, and by turning it over to a rookie, he's basically saying, I'm getting him on the field for somebody else to coach next year. At the same time, you're going to keep losing <laughs> Mike Lennon. Um, you know, that's – you know, that's not helping him either. So right now, Fox is in a completely unenviable situation where I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. What I saw last night, yeah, Glennon wasn't very good, but I didn't see his receivers helping him out very much. Um, and I don't know if Mitchell Trubisky, you know, necessarily could have done better, but this is one of those you need to make change for change's sake. And think about this, Cordell, when you were playing, the Bears were one of the franchises everyone talked about. They are so off the grid right now. I mean, nobody talks about them except for the quarterback situation. They've got to do something to get back into the consciousness of the NFL fan. Taking you around the league with our great friend Steve Weich, NFL Network. Check him out. It's the Aftermath Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern. Lively analysis based on what has gone down the day before. Steve, last one for me. Chargers are winless. I know they could have won on the road in Denver, and they could have won week two, but it didn't happen due to the kicking game. Now they're hosting Philadelphia. You're plugged in. How concerned are folks around the league that the Chargers are failing to gain any traction in Los Angeles? I mean, I'm sure there's some concern. I don't think anyone's flipping out right now because they knew this was a possibility. I mean, look, their their whole thing is, Let's stay above water until you can get into the new stadium. They figure that this new stadium is going to cure a lot of ills. But, you know, look, you go to their games now. Someone told me, I didn't go to their game last week against the Chiefs, but they said it was almost all Chiefs fans in there. That's what's going to, but that's what's going to happen because folks from San Diego are so bitter they're not coming up. Um, they're the second team in L.A., so the first, the first wave is, is – are going to the Rams. Plus the Rams play downtown. They just feel more ingrained. So the Chargers, you know, their initials, they go by the LAC. Who else goes by the LAC? The Los Angeles Clippers. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Is, is mean, the ship going to be sinking like Michael Ray uh, Richardson years ago with the Knicks? <laughs> you see, now you're taking me back to Lamont Murray glory days of the Clippers. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough for them because think about it, when they get to that new stadium. Philip Rivers is probably going to be done playing. Gates is going to be done playing. This you know around the league, I haven't heard panic, but I'm sure they are eyeballing this situation. Steve, always a distinct pleasure. Have a marvelous weekend. As we say goodbye, Cordell is the crooner on this show. He slash, he can do it all. The other day, he was belting out some Lou rolls, and I had a flashback. 
I don't remember much, thanks to Lunesta, when we worked together at 3 o'clock in the morning on NFL AM. But I believe we came to work on Christmas Day, and you were wearing an all-red ensemble a la Lou Rawls. Did that happen? No, I wore a black ensemble with the red pocket. Oh, square. that was that. And, oh, that's and, a you'll never find another D-Web. suit he like took, mine. He, he took us out. He took us. B Webb took us to commercial to the bump. Yeah, you'll never find. <laughs> Made it happen. B Webb's got some pipes. I, I, I try to I get. Hey, I try to get him to do it sometimes. To he's like, you know, he wants to keep his job. You know, he's afraid to sing. I'm trying to get him to do keep it sometimes. He don't want to do it. To keep telling him, and and in memory of Lou Rawls, United Negro College Fund, a mind <laughs> is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. You're the best. You got it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. One, two, three. Let's go. Playlists and hit songs picked out for you by your favorite social influencers right here on Herdwell Radio. Hit music. Let's go. From lit jams to sleepy time songs, we'll play the best music that you need to know. Check out our specially curated playlists like the hashtag What's Trending Hour or our Chart Toppers Mix. Keep the party going with our weekend brunch mixes or our nightly hype mix. No matter what time of day, Herdwell Radio's got you covered. You bring the party, we got the music. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time to spotlight fantasy football with the Fantasy Fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our pal Brittingham T from rotoradar.net. Brittingham, thanks for taking the time. No buys to factor in yet. That starts next week. So let's start this conversation with the big picture. Who's your top quarterback? Well, thanks for uh, having me, Brian and Cordell. And uh, this week, when we look at uh, week four, my top quarterback is going to be the Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson. This is a guy that uh, last week he had his career game at Tennessee where he threw for 373 yards and four touchdowns while also rushing for 26 yards. And this week he gets a Colts team at Seattle where they're 13-point favorites. The Colts are ranked 30th in defensive efficiency, allowing 14.2 yards per pass. They only have six sacks on the season, and they also are a team that will play a lot of man coverage, which is going to play right into Russell Wilson's rushing ability and ability to extend plays. And it just looks like such a smash spot for this Seattle team going home. After a big game on Monday Night Football, is is Bryce Butler a guy you would consider using in a flex situation this week? Man, uh, Bryce Butler, it's funny. This guy played on – he only played – three pass routes on Monday night and he caught two passes for 90 yards and a touchdown. And uh, the big thing to caution here is this is a guy that you just can't play. We call this chasing points in the fantasy world. If you try to play Bryce Butler this week, it's a uh, big no, no to basically target these guys who have outlier performances, unless they can do it consistently, unless Bryce Butler is going to get more snaps, which is something we need to monitor going forward here. If he plays more than three pass routes this week, then maybe he's a guy you can look at. 
But for now, a guy like the Bryce Butler is just too much of an outlier. It's just stretching too far, and uh, you're not going to get a positive fantasy outcome if you keep rostering guys like Bryce Butler. Brett, let's stay with the Cowboys. Cordell and I have had a lot of conversation about the notion that Des Bryant perhaps is no longer a premier receiver, in part because the Cowboys focus on running the football with Ezekiel Elliott. I heard the note there. What's the fantasy take on Des Bryant? Look, uh, Des Bryant, I love him, uh, especially this week. This is a guy that had, uh, they opened the season with just some brutal, brutal matchups. I mean, you're going up against Patrick Peterson, Janoris Jenkins, just guys that it's just not any wide receiver going to struggle with those matchups. And I've, I've actually seen a lot of uh, industry chatter about Des isn't the same guy, but I, I just don't buy into it. This is a week where I think you can buy low on him in season long. If you can trade for him, go for it. He gets a much more favorable outlook this week and going forward. And, yes, the Cowboys are going to play a controlled game. They're going to use Ezekiel Elliott, and they're going to run the ball as much as they can. But when they get in the red zone, they target Des Bryant a lot, and he converts a lot. What are the factors you like to weigh each week when selecting defense and special teams? Well, defense and special teams, uh, especially season-long, you can most oftentimes just pick up somebody on the waiver wire. And in DFS, you're looking for guys or teams that uh, are playing in favorable game scripts. Most likely, they're going to be teams that are at home, teams that are favored and ideally heavily favored, and then going up against the opposing quarterback or offense that's just basically inept. They're not projected to score a lot of points. For example, this week, we already talked about Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. They're 13-point favorites at home. The Colts are traveling cross-country, and they're projected to score only 15 points. It just seems like, I mentioned Russell Wilson's spot, just seems like a, such a smash spot. The Seattle defense should be able to pin their ears back and create a lot of havoc and possible turnovers against a Colts team that shouldn't score very many points. It's the Fantasy Fix with Britting MT from RotoRadar.net. Britt, we've seen one challenging week, one great week from Stephon Diggs teaming up with Case Keenum at quarterback. What's the projection this week against the Lions? Well, this week, I think you got to temper your expectations for Stephon Diggs. Uh, first, let's talk about the good. This is the guy that uh, the chatter now across the industry is He's the best receiver from his class. He's just been a significantly more productive receiver this season than Amari Cooper. He's getting a lot of comparisons to just their skill levels and the routes they run. And bottom line, he's a superior talent. This week, however, I mentioned Tepper expectations because it's a tough, tough matchup. He's going to be going up against the Lions cornerback Darius Slay for a majority of his routes. And Slay on the season has only allowed a 38.9 passer rating on throws in his coverage. That's second best in the league. So if you're expecting a week three type performance or a week one type performance from Stefan Diggs, I wouldn't anticipate it this week. Rick, considering the injuries that limited both Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell in practice, which Cleveland Brown running back would you use this week or neither of them? Well, uh, for this week, I really don't want any part of the Browns running back situation. This is uh, They're going up against a Bengals team that they get back linebacker Vontaze Burfitt to a unit that's already been really good against the run this season. They're only allowing 3.54 yards per carry. They've only allowed one rushing touchdown on the entire season. But uh, if you had to choose, if you're in a position where you're picking between Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell, 
This definitely appears to me to be a Duke Johnson type game. He's at least proven that he can pile up yardage. They're using him as a slot receiver and also giving him some rushing attempts. And he's actually coming off a week where he went over 100 yards and had a TD. And Isaiah Crowell this season, he just hasn't had any of those. He hasn't topped 66 yards in any game. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. So I'm going to keep going with the guy that should be game script proof and Duke Johnson, because I don't think Cleveland's going to have the lead here. I think they're going to be chasing the game. I'm going to take the guy that should be catching more passes. Talking fantasy football with Brittingham T from rotoradar.net. Brad, if you think about the lack of production from Jay Ajayi last week in the loss to the Jets, 11 carries, 16 yards. Now he and the Dolphins are in London and the Ajayi dealing with more injuries. What are you going to do with him moving forward? Might you stash him on the bench? Or are we looking at a handcuff situation with Drake? Well, as you know, Ajayi was projected in, in such a great spot in week three going into New York to take on the Jets, and he just, uh, that entire Miami Dolphins team was, it was bad, just bad all around, and he wasn't able to do his thing. He didn't look right as far as health-wise goes, and uh, we got to look past it. we got a new week here. Again, his knee is going to be an issue all season long. When he came into the league, his knee was an issue for a lot of teams. This is something the Dolphins are well aware of, so they're going to take it easy on him as far as practicing goes. But I think we can go right back to him because he gets a matchup against the Saints team here where, again, he's going to get the majority of work. He's a true three-down back when he's in. I don't think you need to worry about his backups right now. I think Ajayi and his knee are going to – I think it's just going to be a thing where he's not going to practice all year, but I think he's going to go out there and play on Sundays and be used heavily. Brett, um, when it comes down to the Saints, have you learned anything about the usage of the Saints running backs yet? And who is the top guy regularly there? Well, honestly, uh, we don't know much about the Saints running back situation. It seems like they'd be better off at this point letting one of them go and just sticking to the uh, duo pair here. What we do know just from statistics is that Mark Ingram is the lead back. He had 16 touches in week three, playing 50% of the snaps. Alvin Kamara only played 28% of the snaps and got five touches. Adrian Peterson only played 24% of the snaps, getting 11 touches. So if you're targeting or you have a Saints back, the situation is basically score dependent on whether the Saints are trailing or ahead in the game. If they're trailing, most likely they're trying to catch. They're using Alvin Kamara as that kind of combo back who can run pass routes. If they're in control of the game, Mark Ingram's the guy that they're kind of letting run between the tackles. And as far as Adrian Peterson goes, unless something changes with Mark Ingram and his role, Adrian Peterson is basically unusable at this point. Brent, as always, we appreciate the information. Good luck this weekend. Thank you, Brittingham. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. 
This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to go on the record and let you know what we are more than sure is going to happen on Sunday in week four. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. All right, Cordell, we start in London. The International Series continues. Saints and Dolphins. Miami was a disaster, losing to the Jets last week. Concerns about Jay Ajayi. I'm going to take New Orleans in the U.K. How about you? I'm going with the Miami Dolphins. I think when mentioning players on this team, Jay Ajayi, not for sure uh, how he's going to play if he is going to play. Or even Jay Cutler, your buddy, your best friend guy that came from the booth and got a one-year $10 million deal. I'm going with Adam Gaze and his team rebounding and playing well. I think Jay Cutler's going to have one of those games that no one thought he could have, and I think they come away with a victory against this defense of the New Orleans Saints. Now it's on to the eight early games. Buffalo's on the road in Atlanta. Falcons last unbeaten in the NFC. Head coach Dan Quinn getting ready for the challenge of Shady McCoy. He's such a dangerous guy with the ball, especially when he gets out into space. He has the ability to run full speed and then make a cut to go. So you can see why he's such an effective zone runner, like even in our system, where press the line of scrimmage as hard as you can, then you get your cut and go. And then the screen game is where he's also a real factor. As for Buffalo, they're led by first-year head coach Sean McDermott. We've got a lot of work to do, anxious to get back uh, on the practice field today. Um, this is a, a, a big challenge for us, going down into uh, into their stadium and a new stadium. We look forward to that challenge. This is a team led by a very good football coach and Dan Quinn. Dynamic offense and a defense that's playing extremely fast and a special teams unit that's doing the same. So, you know, this will be a big challenge for us and, and one we look forward to. Quite a buildup. I think Atlanta's going to win this game handily. How about you? I'm going with the Atlanta Falcons myself. Too much talent on both sides. Pair of winless teams get together divisional matchup. The Cleveland Browns hosting the Cincinnati Bengals featuring the return of Vontez Perfect back from his three-game suspension. You know, things happen, and uh, like I said, you just got to rebound from uh, the, neg- the negativity, and, um, you know, it's a long season. It's not a sprint, so you just got to finish strong, and, uh, and you know, each game is a different game, so we just got to go out this Sunday and try to get a win. Somebody's got to win a football game in this Battle of Ohio. I'll take the Bengals on the road. How about you? I think Vontez come back and does what he does best. He be, he's violent. I think they come back and they get this win. They come out with the victory. Rams have the best offense so far in all of football on the road in Dallas. I'll take the Cowboys at home. I'm going with the Cowboys at home as well. Your guy, Case Keenum, guiding the Minnesota offense Ooh. at home against the Lions, trying to rebound from that emotionally crippling loss. Final seconds against the Falcons. I'll take the Lions on the road. We might run out of time because I'm going to be pausing on this one, but this is a tough one for me. Um, I'm going to go with this powered offense with Diggs and, and Rudolph and Thielen as well as Cook out of the backfield, Dalvin Cook, that is. And this defense is playing really good. I think they give the Detroit Lions another L, so I'm going with Case Keenum, my man. Case Keenum and the Minnesota Vikings, the Purple People Eaters. I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings. Carolina on the road in New England. Bill Belichick with this appraisal of Cam Newton. 
think when you're talking about mobile quarterbacks, guys that are tough to handle, tackle, can throw, run, make good decisions, can beat in a lot of that. I mean, I would put Newton at the top of the list. He makes good decisions. He can run. He's strong. He's hard to tackle. He can do a lot of different things, beat in a lot of different ways. I would put him at the top of the list. Not saying the other guys aren't a problem, because they are. But uh, he's... He'd be public enemy number one. Oh, going old school. Edward G. Robinson, public enemy number one. Ron Rivera wants his defense to get to Tom Brady. When we take the football away and we win the takeaway battle, we tend to win 90% of our games. And so when you don't take the ball away, you're cutting your opportunities to win. It's an emphasis. It'll continue to be an emphasis, and we need to, especially against Tom Brady. You can't allow him to stay on the field and, and, and you know move the ball at his leisure. you gotta, you got to put pressure on him. you got to get the ball away from him. I'll take the Patriots. How about you? I'm going with the Patriots. They got a taste of this last week with Deshaun Watson. I think they have that sealed up. I'm going with New England. My Jaguars in the swamps of New Jersey. The Jets coming off their win over Miami. I'm taking Jacksonville. How about you? I'm going with Jacksonville on the road. I think they have everything they need to win on the road, so I'm going with Jacksonville. Baltimore hosting Pittsburgh. I know you're taking the Steelers. Make it official. I am going with the Steelers. It is official. I know how you roll. I'll take the Steelers as well. Titans and Texans in Houston. I'm taking Houston at home. How about you? I'm going with the Titans. I like that running game. I'm going with the running game and the defense that's going to keep Deshaun Watson in the pocket. Uh, Give him some complex looks because that 3-4 defense. Let's go Titans. Got to go rapid fire for the four late games. Winless San Francisco on the road at Arizona. I'm taking the Cardinals at home. I'm taking San Francisco. They get their first win against the Cards. How about that? Let's go. Winless Chargers hosting the Eagles. I'll take Philly in Southern California. I'm taking Philly. I'm with you. I'm taking the Eagles. Winless Giants at Tampa Bay. I'll take the Bucks at home. How about you? I'm going with the Bucks at home as well. Yes, sir. Divisional matchup between Oakland and Denver. The Silver and Black will rebound from that debacle on Sunday Night Football. Take Oakland. The Silver and Black isn't back. I'm going with the Donkeys and the Denver Broncos. I think Von Miller steps it up because of the penalty last week against the Buffalo Bills. Let's go, Donkeys. Broncos. Sunday night football. No Andrew Luck for Indy. No chance in Seattle. I'll take the Seahawks big. How about you? I tell you, Jacoby Brissett playing pretty well, but not good enough for the Legion of Boom. I'm going with Seattle. 20 seconds left. What happens in Atlanta prep football today? We get a win tonight, bro. We need one. We lost two in a row, Brian. Oh, my blood pressure getting high. Oh, my goodness. We're going Red Fox. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.